I'm Kieran. And I'm Eve. This is Kitchen Table Cult. Where two quiverful escapees talk about our experiences in the cultish underbelly of the religious right. Hey, Kieran. Hey, Eve. Um, have you masturbated yet today? Not yet. This is your, I mean, this is your I, accountability I, check-in. Yeah, so I, I did last night before bed. Okay. I haven't yet today because I've been busy, but I usually do it before bed. So before bed is when that will happen. I mean, that's 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 good. Yeah, federal hygiene. It is. It's helpful. What about you? Have you masturbated yet today? Yes, several times. Okay, good. I usually do in between classes because that's really smart. Honestly, yeah. I feel like if I masturbated multiple times a day, that would also be better for me. I hope my students never listen to this podcast. what you couldn't see was me almost (laughs) spitting out my coffee with baileys (laughs) so if you are my student and you're listening to this hey guess what professors are human too yeah as it turns out everyone i'm not like whipping my dick out on zoom yeah see like there are there are lines and as long as you're not whipping your dick out on Zoom, like... I do it off the clock. Yeah. You're pretty safe. Just not... <laughs> not not on the Zoom, please. Thanks. Mm-mm. No, yeah. No, not on the Zoom. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad I'm glad to hear that, that you are um, being faithful to your uh, regimens. Yes, I am. I'm realizing... There's this fun thing that happens with uh, transitioning, which is every like six months or so, six to eight months, I have to relearn how to masturbate. So I'm now in that period where like I'm trying to figure out what feels good again because what usually feels good doesn't do anything for me now. So it's like I'm starting that new journey. Hmm. It's yeah. it's a process. I Not mean, enough I people feel like, talk about it. I feel like every like – depressive cycle, trigger cycle, like hormonal cycle, like fucks all that up and you just have to learn it all over again. Yeah, it does. There's so many different things that need to be recalibrated yeah. all the time. Yeah. And like, you know, at some point this year, I'm going to have surgery and then I will have like a whole new dick that I have to learn how to use after so like the catheter your- comes out. Your inorganic material ones. Yeah. Well, this one to get into like the like nitty gritty details? details of of surgery. I'm getting a metidioplasty with urethral lengthening. So what happens is they basically just like use my existing parts. So like they'll uh, move some stuff forward. So my clitoris is elongated and they'll like move it up a little bit and they'll I'm also getting they don't do this at the same time but you can have um like testicular implants and so they'll use the labia majora for that Mm -hmm. so they'll like kind of resituate my labia after they sew the vagina closed I'm sorry if this is like very graphic but this is how it works (laughs) 
So they're like, sew my vagina shut. They'll use. If, you, if, you, if this is the first time you are learning about what bottom surgery entails, you need to send Kieran $10 on their Venmo. Yes. Okay? Yes. It's, for this education. Okay. That's how this works. I'm MX Starkwater on PayPal and Venmo. So if this is, if this is helpful news to you. This is how metasurgery works. So they'll they'll sew up my vagina and they'll use the labia majora as like the holding for when the uh, testicular implants can get done. And they'll move my clitoris up after like elongating it. And in the process of the surgery, they're also going to elongate my urethra, which they use like also existing material for. And they kind of make like if they can it's very complicated to do urethral lengthening so if they can yeah, anything with their urethra is complicated yeah they'll use like some tissue that i already have to like make a skin tube and then mm-hmm. make that go longer and they'll like try to line it up so it like comes out of my clitoris and if it, if they are, there's, there's not enough there then they'll just like do it kind of they'll do what they can mm-hmm. and so that's like the most confusing and hard part of it and with that I will have a catheter for like a month or two okay and I will also have a bag so I don't have to like try to pee with the catheter <laughs> well, I mean, that's, obviously I mean, that's how catheters yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) we should yeah and then like once it's healed enough i'll go in i'll like try to do a standing pee we'll see how it works if it's leaky then we'll just like not do standing and just do some (laughs) like minor repairs or whatever and then about a couple months later maybe six months later i can do the testicular implants Nice. And then I will have like my own. It won't be long, obviously. It won't look like a cis man's dick. It'll look like my clit dick, but mm-hmm. it'll be better. But this is for the record. If anybody's ever wondered why like small dick jokes are considered transphobic, this is it. This is it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's just like whatever I've got. And the way that. Uh, we're doing it is so like I'm basically set up for if I ever want to do a phalloplasty, which mm-hmm. is when they use the skin grafts mm-hmm. and like the metal bar or whatever, we'll be able to do that pretty easily. Just mm-hmm. okay. with like the surgery is basically like here is like the inner room if you want it to be or the complete if you want it to be. So what you're saying is small dick energy is actually braver than the U.S. Marines. Yes. Yes. Very much so. We got that straight away. Yeah. So, you know, then I'll have like several months of having this neophallus that I'll have to figure out how to use and do stuff with. But I'll also have like balls, which is great. So I feel like it'll be cool because like they're not – like, I'm sure it'll be uncomfortable, but it's not, like, naturally generated balls where, like, there's a bunch of stuff happening. So it'll just be, like, <laughs> all of the everything I want about balls with none of the, like, bad stuff about having balls. So you're saying if someone punched you in the dick, it wouldn't it wouldn't hurt as much? Yeah, like, probably. I'm sure it'd be uncomfortable, but I, I wouldn't die. It would be fine. Hmm. 
I, I'd be honestly much tougher than this dude. Trans, trans men are generally yeah. much tougher anyway. <laughs> you know the shit we have to go through. First we have periods and then we have reconstructive bottom surgery. So Yeah, like seriously. Yeah. Oh, so I, I, I bet our listeners are extremely confused about like what the fuck this episode is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we started off with like masturbating and then we took a detour to trans bottom surgeries, which I hope was informative. And now you never have related. to ask anyone again. Like, you know the process now. Do not ask your trans mask friends about it. Listen to the first eight minutes of this episode and you'll be fine. <laughs> I can send the slides. And then pay Karen for it. Yeah, and then pay me for it because I need to come up with like uh, about $3,000. <laughs> it's actually a okay, bit less okay, than that, so but whatever. I mean, by the time you have to like get your like fancy like Laura Croft style like thigh strap on for your your bag and shit like, yeah yeah i need to get a hook that. i need to get a like butt pillow i need to get like a bed stand like <laughs> i need to get a butt pillow you know That's like so those amazing. donuts yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i know what you're talking about I just <laughs> yeah so anyway. well okay so what is this episode about besides <laughs> besides dicks? surgeries surgeries dicks masturbation i mean it, it sounds a lot like uh like sex. Yeah, I guess we're talking about sex. We are. We're talking about sex and uh, how addictive it is, I guess. <laughs> okay, so I just, the more I think about this, the more angry I get at the idea of sexual addiction. I understand that probably there are some extremely rare cases where there is some level of like actual addiction happening, but I think that it is our culture has framed just male sexuality in such a way that what we talk about when we say sexual addiction literally doesn't exist. Yeah. And is incredibly disrespectful to those who like have actually gotten sober and dealt with real addiction. Yeah. Just like, that just makes me like the more sober people I have in my life because I'm in my thirties and everybody's getting sober and I'm like yep. seeing the work that they're doing to do get there. It's like, uh, the, the, every single time I see sexual addiction used to make me really mad. And now I'm just like Hulk. Yeah. So angry. Yeah. 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 That's was like, it was interesting when it came up in the news recently and okay, I was just yeah. like, tell them, tell them why we're doing this. Yeah. Okay. So for context, we all remember the massacre in Atlanta and the person who did it was said to have had a sex addiction. And the interesting thing that got our attention about it is not only was the sex addiction part, but also because he went to this really like conservative white supremacist church that taught and a lot of the two, stuff that he did learn and two residential treatment centers for his addiction yes and two residential treatment centers that are real scammy looking based mm -hmm. on like a cursory me going to their websites if they had a website one like barely existed oh i i stocked the the wayback machine of that one the second one for a good bit that was exciting also the church yeah, yeah. So interestingly enough, that was how I had to find all the information too, is using the Wayback Machine because the church redid their entire page to just be like, 
we don't agree with this church member. He doesn't represent us. But in the Wayback Machine, they had their like statement of they faith. A, That's what it's well, called. But they also had a they also had a page, and I talked about this. If you are listening to this and you haven't listened to the conversation I had with um, Robert Evans and the folks on the Worst Year Ever Pod about this, we're kind of jumping off of some of that conversation. One of the things I found and talked about on there is they had a recommendation link for an accountability browser add-on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, which, like, hey, I grew up with this shit. I know how to get around this shit so well. Yeah. But did you go – did you use these things? Do you, know, yeah. you want to explain how they work? Yeah. So uh, – my family used the like John Hagee Ministries safe browser extension mm-hmm. app, whatever the fuck it was. I think ours was safe eyes or something. Yeah. Yeah. And this was like, this was a real big thing in the like early 2000s, late 90s when the internet was just sort of starting to happen and people were like, oh no, there's porn on the internet everywhere you look. And I'm like, first of all, there's not porn, porn everywhere you look. Been- <laughs> There's also always, 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 always been porn. Yeah. Also, like, looked. what are magazines anyway? Like, <laughs> there has always, always been porn everywhere. Um, but like, it's it's not like if you just like open up Google.com that there's suddenly porn there, uh, which it's is not just like pouring out of your your computer in a fire hose. No, and then you have to take your computer outside and smash it with a baseball bat on Easter morning. Oh wait, that's a, uh, that's that's a that's, movie. That's the movie. <laughs> that's that movie if you've ever that's seen proof that's all you need to know um, also well you need to know one other thing is that the actor wouldn't kiss the the woman who played his wife oh yeah so they had to do like an in profile shadow shot of him kissing his actual wife as the stand-in right yeah kirk cameron has some interesting requirements <laughs> Yeah, so they like there was this whole thing in like churches and Christian homeschooling groups and whatever where like uh, everyone was really excited about these browser extensions that would save your children's eyes from seeing anything impure and the also save your marriage. Yeah, and save your marriage because your husband definitely doesn't know how to get around a browser thing that he installed Mm. (laughs) or that you installed, depending. (laughs) Um, You know, and. It also, like, not only did it block porn, which was the purpose, but it also blocked, like, everything else. So, like, if you looked, <laughs> like, I, my family actually had to turn it off for speech and debate because I was trying to look up one of the, one of the years that I did speech and debate. It was um, about how to stop medical malpractice. Oh, my God. I remember that. Year. I couldn't Google anything because anything about medicine was blocked. So we had to turn it off. Because – it had clinical terms for genitalia. Right. Like you couldn't you couldn't have anyone know like a penis was a penis. Like the word the word penis, penis is blocked. That the website was blocked, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I couldn't find anything for my research because this browser was just so like uh closed. Mm-mm. Um, and also, like, obviously, it goes without saying that anything remotely regarding queer people was also blocked. Anything that involved kissing was blocked. Like, basically, if you – there was basically nothing you could do. There was nothing I could do. The John Hagee one was super strict. Like, there was – you could go to, like, PBS's <laughs> website. You could go to, like, Newsmax <laughs> and Drudge Report 
And like, that was basically it. So the one that we used basically had a timeout, like a 30 second timeout feature where if you weren't logged in, you had 30 seconds before it would like prompt you to log in again. And if you like kept restart reopening the browser, you could just get around it. Oh, oh. And the other thing that I just remembered about these browsers is that there was a feature where like it would send an email with whatever it was Mm -hmm. that you looked up to like your parents or your pastor, whoever it was that they set it up to email. So it would set up an accountability partner would get a report and they could get it as a daily digest, a weekly digest, a monthly digest. Like my father had like, I think a weekly digest that he got of like every user on this, this apps um, or this add-ons, you know, every user's log of everything they had ever looked at that yep. week, your browser history, yeah. your search history, all, all of it, it was your sent- browser, your search, everything sent to your parents. So like you couldn't, you know, do much on it. And, and the, the, you know, it, sometimes you could gamble with it because they sent so much. The volume meant that like whoever was looking at it had to be really like invested in looking at it. Right. So you could get around it by just like assuming that they'd be human and not look very closely. <laughs> just just like what happened. had your real search with like puppies and kittens and Bible verses and <laughs> it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I – of course, I never got caught doing anything, but I also didn't really look for much. And I just satisfied myself. Haha, <laughs> satisfied myself. Um, <laughs> okay, checking out smutty romance novels from the library. Yeah, my Grammy loved romance novels and had mm. a huge collection. So I would just like browse the covers and retain those images for later. Okay, so you were fantasizing about something specific. Yeah. You had, like, pictures in your head. Yeah, I just had, like, they were mostly based off, like, the books or sometimes I would get imaginative. But, like, there was there were, like, figures and people who, like, weren't actually real people. It was just, like, you know, like, if you're drawing something and it's, like, oh, yes, mm-hmm. this is just, like, a person. It's yeah, it's whoever's normal, on the book cover today. Like <laughs> normal girls just really like drawing p- boobs. It's fine, right? I'm totally yeah, straight. It's totally. Mm-hmm, yep. Uh-huh. Don't mind uh, all of the mermaids that I drew <laughs> everywhere. It's it's fine. It's fine. No, okay. So on one hand, like I didn't do visual. I didn't rely on visual stuff for a particular reason. We'll get to it. Um, for to be like aroused but I legitimately thought I had a masturbation addiction so I went through I mean this this actually might have been my first blog post that like got any attention from like outsiders not you know people who didn't know me already right back in the old wine and marble days when my I was still pretending to be a Christian on the blog (laughs) but I was like Masturbation's not a sin was basically the point of the post, but it was after I had really, really worked through coming to terms with the fact that like I had a fairly normal sex drive and I had thought for my entire life 
that I had an abnormally high sex drive and was either an addict or in danger of becoming an addict to masturbation. Right. And in a lot of the language around sex and lust and purity stuff really like reinforced that misunderstanding. And so not understanding anything about how sex actually works really put me at a disadvantage because I didn't know what I was looking at. I had no baseline yep. to understand like what normal sex drive was, what normal sex was. You know, I we got I mean, there's something to be said for like, yeah, the repression and just like not talking about it really reinforces that ignorance and gives you this kind of idea. But there's also, there was also this like very proactive side to all of this where you were taught that like being a woman and lusting was abnormal and Mm -hmm. unnatural. Yeah. Women aren't supposed to have any sexual wants or needs at all ever. Well, it's like women might get some pleasure out of sex. Yeah, but that's a, but like it's a, not a guarantee. It's not a guarantee. Yeah, that's that's like a a, a treat if you get it occasionally. <laughs> like you can have a little orgasm as a treat. As a treat. <laughs> as a treat. <laughs> I love that. That's like a full circle sausage joke here. Like, just like if you're very online, you understand what we're talking about. Yeah. If you're not, look up cats. Look it up. And then yeah. <laughs> cats and forward treat. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so there's, like, there's there's some of it that is this, like, va- like this, like, vacant hole of n- lack of information. And there's some of it that's this, like, active trickle of misinformation yep. that has been given. We had, we had this really interesting conversation. Can I, I'm going to jump into this yeah. really deep here real fast. Not like we haven't already gone there, but... We had this really interesting conversation. I think before I got married, I was worried about my wedding night. Oh, yeah. You remember that? I remember that. (laughs) So for the the record, my wedding night was crap, as they mostly all are when purity culture is a thing. But I was really determined to not be a virgin in my my words then by the end of my wedding night because I had heard horror stories in my mind horror stories of people not having sex right away and I was like hello I waited this long right I am not gonna waste any time Jesus might come back right you need need to get laid as soon as possible because you don't know when the rapture will come and it would suck If it like was the day after your wedding and you hadn't gotten any. It does. Yeah, it's a problem. Okay. But the thing is, you know, actually now that I am thinking about it, like the people who probably took their time about it, had it probably had better sex lives in general, but I was, I was Randy and I really wanted to make sure that I wasn't doing that because I, I wanted to make sure that I was like having good sex right off. Well, and there was so much at stake and it was also promised like. We were told if we waited that sex uh-huh. would be magical. And it would be better than fornication sex. Right. Which is unmarried <laughs> sex if you're if you're not up with the with the kids talk. 
I've actually, I've, I've been, I'm getting sidetracked, sidetracking myself here, but I've been writing about this a bunch right now for book memoir, memoir book drafting things. I've just kind of been writing around this a lot. And one of the things that I keep coming back to is like how I was so sure that I hadn't had sex by my wedding night because my definition was penis and vagina. Mm-hmm. And my understanding of sex is so much broader now that I've gotten queer. <laughs> Weird how that happens. <laughs> you know, like, um, and suddenly I'm like, oh yeah, we were having sex for months beforehand. But I was anxious about this and I wanted to talk to someone who is married and you were one of the only people in my community who had been married for a while before me. And I remember asking about sex and like how things were and like, I don't know, maybe like, should I know anything or like, would you have done anything different or something? And I was really surprised <laughs> to hear your answer. You want to <laughs> get into this? Uh, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but the way I, I remember this going was just being like, well, I mean, I didn't have sex on my wedding night. Like we tried, it didn't work. It was just like this very stressful thing. And as it turns out, I found out later that I had vaginismus, which is like a whole other thing that I'm sure we'll touch on later. Mm -hmm. And I felt terrible about it. Like I felt, I felt like I'd let down my spouse because, you know, we were, we were told that if we waited until marriage to fuck that our like first fucking would be magical and great. And I only understood at the time, not the time I was talking to you, but at the time that I got married, also mm -hmm. sex as like penetrative penis and vagina. Mm -hmm. And that didn't happen. Like it, it just, it didn't happen. And we were like, well, sex is supposed to be like fun. And like something <laughs> that you enjoy because I didn't want to have kids. Yeah. And we're like, this is not. And like, maybe that's okay. And so it took me, it took me a while to get to the point where like, I didn't feel like a failure of a wife for not being able to have this one kind of sex. And mm -hmm. my ex and I had also, you know, been fucking for months but we hadn't like right you know by queer queer <laughs> definitions of the term yeah 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 so like well, that was my first exposure to kind of a queering of sex and so it I was resistant to it but it kept knocking around in the back of my head and it was really helpful to like hear you be like yeah like we haven't done that particular act I also have learned recently that I can't do that particular act for really good reasons and neither of us are worried about it. I mean, you probably were, but you were framing it as like, yeah, this is fine. Yeah. And my spouse doesn't resent me and I know this is like not my fault and something that's normal and it happens and it's okay. And so like had just having, I mean, this goes back to like, the danger of a single story, the, the Adichie TED talk thing, but like it is important to have diverse stories about sex. And the one we had been told our entire lives was so singular. Yep. 
And so having that out there really just kind of, it planted some seeds that, that were really fruiting later, you know, more fruit a couple of years later. Yeah. After I did get divorced, but it was, it was really helpful to hear that and to just like, know like the week after my um, wedding night, we had a lot of trouble having sex because I was in a lot of pain because we forced it. Right. Yep. And, and so he was really worried and wanted me to go to a doctor. And I was like, I think I just need to chill. <laughs> I think it'll be fine. Yeah. And it was fine. But it was just like, I need to take things more slowly. I need to like let my body dictate the pace. And I hadn't really thought that through before. And so it was, it was a really good lesson to have that in the back of my head while I was working through this and being like, my story is my own. It's, I don't have to fall into these, these patterns that we've been told. Yeah. Yeah. I think my favorite, I like after talking to you, other people have of course come and asked me for advice and stuff. And my, (laughs) my favorite thing to say is just that like, sex is what you make of it. It's mm-hmm. it's whatever you and the person that you're down to fuck want to do. I'm like that that looks like whatever is fun and feels good. It doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't have like there's not just one way to have sex. Yeah, and I've heard you say that a lot, and I I've always really appreciated that. And especially, um, I am not done with it yet, but I've been listening to Angela Chen's book, um, Ace about asexuality, on audiobook recently. It's really fucking good. Um, and it gets into this a lot too. I I don't know. There's so many, there's so many intersections of like purity culture and queer theories of sex. Yeah. <laughs> Just yes. like we can get into it forever. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> Do you want to like book it way far back for a second? I just realized that we had a request recently to like talk about our, our origin story. Oh yeah. And we could... <laughs> We could tie this into the purity culture stuff by talking about the modesty survey if we want. Oh, yes. Yeah. All of these. <laughs> I feel like this is the episode people have been wanting us to do when we just haven't like had the tie-ins for it. And now, yeah. Okay. Let's go back. So this Let's is going to be like an hour, long, like an hour and a half long episode. Yeah. Hour and a half. Not safe for work. But I think uh, people will like it. Hopefully. <laughs> Let us know if you hate it. I mean, don't let us know if you hate it. Keep that to yourself. Let us know if you like it. <laughs> I don't want to know if you hate it. <laughs> we, we we will accept critical, like constructive you know, criticism. Constructive is criticism. You know, tell us what you liked, what you didn't like, and then what you liked again. Yeah, it's fine. Give us yeah. a little burger. It's great. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, uh, I'm gonna let you segue into. Okay, so we all were really influenced by this fucking guy. This one guy. This one guy. This one guy. We've talked about I, him before. We've talked about him before. And like if you're if you're new to the podcast, I'm gonna give you my little spiel where I'm like, I think that Josh Harris should shut up and go away. But I also really refuse to hate him or demonize him or valorize him because I know him as a person from casual interactions at CLC. And, um, I mean, having, he, he was a victim of the system yeah. and he took advantage of the system and he benefited from it too, but he was, 
he didn't have a lot of options. So, um, yeah. but I Kissed Dating Goodbye came out in, two, in uh, 1997. I think he was 19 or 20. Or yeah, 90. he was really young. He wasn't married. <sighs> no. He hadn't even, I think maybe he dated once. Like there was he one like, dating story in the book that was maybe his. Made out with some girls from the gymnastics team. I just listened to his podcast with Nadia Boltzweber, who I have a whole beef with, but whatever. You y'all can listen to it. It's 30 minutes. And he dated someone for two years in high school and was pretty chaste. But uh, then he wrote the rule book. Then he wrote the rule book. But the thing is, okay, so he grew up going to Bill Gothard seminars. And Bill Gothard taught courtship. Yep. Bill Gothard, who was a serial predator of young girls who were working in his office. Um, I just, there's so much rage. Yeah. So much rage that so much of this culture, <laughs> I'm going to really just go off for a second. May I? Yes. Okay. Purity culture was created at the beginning in order to make young women not talk about and repress the sexual violations that they were experiencing at the hands of older men. Yeah. That is my theory. That is my theory. But I mean, because fundamentally Bill Gothard is teaching courtship shit. We have the, the Duggars coming out of that. That's, Mm -hmm. that's like a direct result of that, you know, so much chastity like modesty dressing a certain way but he had a fetish for 1950s 1960s air stewardesses so that's the look that he had them oh which is why the modesty stuff is a callback to that those kinds of styles were what was considered modest because that's what he was into yep and then he'd play footsie with them under the table and rape them later in the hotel room so so like Having the the concept of purity being handed to these young girls, you have young women, even young children, being sexually assaulted and molested and feeling like they are broken. They are fundamentally damaged because of the, the rubric that they're being raised in. And so they shut up about it in order to pretend that they are pure. Yep. In order to defend their own sense of self and being good enough to receive love. And what's really sad about all this is is Josh Harris has mentioned it in, in the past about being the victim of CSA. And the the people who were, you know, victimized by Gothard, you know, were some of the people who were the true believers in that that community. Like Yep. These things are intimately connected. Yep. Sorry. I just am so mad about it. It, it entirely exists to enable sexual abuse. Yeah. And to keep everyone who has been abused feeling awful about themselves and unable to talk about it and like they did something wrong. Not the person who abused them, but them. It's preemptive gaslighting. Yeah. It one, really of the, is. one of the Sovereign Grace Ministries cases that – like haunts me to this day that if you look through the, the quote unquote blogs from that time, um, you'll find it. But like the pastors at the church 
were in involved in disciplining a man who had raped his stepdaughter, who was probably seven. And what was told over and over and over again in the stories defending this man was he was attracted to the woman she was becoming. And if that's not the most damning <laughs> statement in terms of purity culture and how it came about, I don't know what is. Yeah, it's Jesus Christ. Sorry. Such bullshit. And like and like that's the that's the shit that these men talk about. Is they're like, oh well, she's going to be a lovely woman. And it's like, well, but she's a fucking child right now. So get off. So there's this there's this element of like the community is our, like our culture as at large is already sexualizing children. Yeah. We have, you know, little t-shirts for little boys, like you know, mama's little heartbreaker or whatever. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Daddy's little girl. These things where yep. it's like, you know, the, the posing with a gun at the prom picture that you get. Like, it's a thing. Yep. And then add to it this element of in order to get God's love, you have to be sexually a blank slate. And if you're not it's your fault because you by existing in a feminine shaped body you are a temptation yep yep it's just like default to you there is no way out of it there is nothing you can do to change it and yet it's still your fault somehow do you remember the so the modesty survey you remember but do you remember the modesty checklist from the mahanies yes <laughs> this is not what we meant to talk about, but I feel like we can't not. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I remember it as clearly as you do, but I remember it like existing and I remember being like, oh, I have to like live by this. So I had it taped up on my wall in my bedroom and many other girls in our church did too. I still have a PDF of it if you want to look at it, but basically it's this like your play acting in front of the mirror, what a man would see looking at you. Mm -hmm. With the assumption that the man who's looking at you is his head and has absolutely no control of their libido. Yep. And so it's the, oh, if you're wearing spaghetti straps, it's really easy for him to imagine you naked. So right. don't do that because you are putting that image in his head. It's making him have no agency in this process. Yeah. Yeah, men are apparently just victims of their dicks. Like they're animals. Yeah, obviously. clearly. I mean, they do also raise them to be. So, well, there's that. <laughs> um, there's that. But the whole thing is like it, it sets it up. It sets it up so that the men have no agency. The women have all the power and no agency. Yeah. So, like, the women are the ones who are the seductresses, the sluts, the potential whores. Like, you are not a whore yet. You right. are. But you every be. day you exist is your potential whore. Yeah. And so. Just for having a uterus. Like, that's just. <laughs> and yeah. And and so the the goal therefore is as a woman to exist day-to-day -day existence without falling into that 
right? So how do you hide your body and your existence well enough that someone in authority over you who is literally every man in this like world <laughs> and teaching won't rape you? Well, you well first of all, Karen, you never wear your purse cross body so oh, God, no, no one ever no, ever no one ever realizes that you have tits. No. Can't do that. <laughs> um, Everything okay, so then, size is too big also. So we got taught this stuff and like the modesty stuff got like was like this huge part of you're coming into your teenage self. You're learning how to dress. You're learning how to like deal with acne. You're learning to deal with a new body and taking up space in different ways. And you're super self-conscious. And then in addition, you also might hurt your brothers in Christ right. by existing. Yeah. And that's your fault. That's on you. So there was this community revolution, which is the, Josh Harris's younger brothers. They had a book. They made a forum. We were moderators on it. Yeah, we were. At some point or another. Yeah. Like, whatever. we all met. We all started blogging around the same time. We all met somehow through the internet. I don't okay, even so remember. Okay, so we met before the revolution. Let's, let's back up. Yeah. We met before the revolution came up. It was, I had just gotten back from my trip to France in 2005 in that summer. That fall, I saw. Spunky Jr., and I'm not going to name her real name just for her own <laughs> privacy, but our friend Spunky Jr. was blogging, and she was talking about an online chat-based Bible study that was going to meet on Sunday, and I was really excited about this idea. So I joined in, and it was Agent Tim and you and Jake and, and Smart Homeschool and Katissia and Smart Homeschool and yeah. uh, and. And I was the odd one out. And y'all knew each other through some class or something. Yeah, a lot of people my... had taken Michael Ferris's con law class. I just like, I didn't take the class with everyone. I just was like blogging politically and people thought I was cool. So I was in the Politically group. incorrect. They thought you were yeah. a dude. Oh, yeah. This was before I came out. Yeah, everyone thought. <laughs> well, hey, <laughs> yeah, that's right, that's out. right. That's what you had to come out both directions. I had, yeah. So you already had your correct gender, and then and then, yeah, yeah. I had yeah. It was it was funny because yeah, there was like this blogging community. The only way that I could blog, I started blogging in like late two thousand. We all had pseudonyms. We, we all had, had pseudonyms. Like, yeah. Mine was Jackie, spelled the French way. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> No, I had I had to have like a whole pseudonym and my parents only allowed me to blog if I did it as a boy because mm -hmm. that was somehow safer from <laughs> creepy dudes on the internet. <laughs> I was I was so here for embodying this. It was a great experiment. You had fucking fighter jets as your profile avatar. Yeah. And I like googled like how to write more like a boy and i did that <laughs> there were no signs who would have thought <laughs> i don't know how anyone could have seen that coming it was there was no information at all definitely didn't have an entire like backstory for my pseudonym mm -hmm. which was kyle parker oh my god that, you, you were know. a fucking kyle i had like i tried to keep it in my like same initials Okay, but and you I need liked, to apologize to all Kyles everywhere for like giving them a good name. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, it was. <laughs> I was just trying to like keep it within my my range. Yeah, and so everyone thought that I was a boy, and I had been blogging for quite some time and making friends blogging, and then this Bible study happened, and it was going to be over, like, Skype, and I was like, well, I can't mask my Well, it was some sort of, like, it was some sort of, like, freestanding chat, group chat app. Oh, yeah. The first time. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's the time I joined, and then it was over Skype. But, like, we never actually met over Skype, I don't think. No. But during that chat – they were like, hey, we're going to start this magazine online and it's going to be like World Magazine by teenagers for teenagers. Right. And I will not tell you anything more about it. No. To save ourselves. <laughs> but but we ran it. It was, we ran, it was, it was like good for, for what it was. Five years maybe. Yeah, um, it was a long I, time. I, I edited it. You did the website. I, we, I like did a bunch there. of the- People got married off of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm so, the key case there. No, but there were a couple, there were several couples out of that. And the Harrises were, the Harris twins were contributors at some point. And then they went off and got fucking famous with their little book. Yeah. And And then they started like their whole thing. And they started their forum and they were like, came back to the folks from our group and were like, hey, we need moderator help because this is blowing up. And so we got roped in. And (sighs) sorry, I'm so tired. Like I was just thinking about the Harris boys. Um, don't, don't do it. <laughs> it's like, I'm just, I'm not do, do it. Not, They're um, ancillary to this. <clears throat> but there was this conversation in the attic, which was the girls. The boys had of, the garage and the girls, and the girls had the girls attic. Had, I was really irritated that I was forced into the attic. TBH. I wanted I mean, to be wasn't. like in the other I wanted like, to be in not both. in any space. I wanted to moderate like the general space, but whatever. It's it's whatever. Fine. So it's we fine. were in the attic, and and I I don't remember. I feel like I might have been pivotal for getting this idea going. So I like want to apologize a little bit to the universe for you know getting the modesty survey existing. But basically, we were talking about like we don't know what guys see. We can't tell, and so if you don't have brothers and your dad is not on board with modesty, how do you get someone to do a quality check on your outfit? Right. And so, which is like gross because that means you're asking your brother and father to objectify you, but that's a whole other story. Yeah, it was, (laughs) there was a lot. But but the, (laughs) I was like, well, why don't we just ask them? Yeah, and and it was a brilliant idea. And Spunky was like, oh, yeah, we should – Spunky Jr. was like, oh, yeah, we could just ask them. And then – So we, like, came to the boys and we're like, hey, boys. Hey, boys, can we just ask you these questions? And they were like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Maybe we should make a whole survey. And why don't you all submit questions? So suddenly I was like, okay, so we're going to be doing questions. What do you want to know? And then it overflowed. Everybody had so many questions. And the boys put together the survey and then it, they launched it and it was massive. Oh, it was huge. Like I, everyone I knew knew about it. And it was, was like it. multiple thousands of men took this survey and it was like a 10 page long survey. It was so long and they all had their names signed at the end of it, which is, I think, why they took it down because it was like, <laughs> yeah, who it, are, it, all, <laughs> let's go down this list. The, I mean, it was a who's who of of conservative homeschool assholes. Yeah. That's who. <laughs> um, 
Um, I might have screenshots somewhere. I gotta look. Anyway, but the, the thing is, you had multiple thousands of men who had taken this and you have multiple thousands of responses. I feel like the number 5,000 is coming to mind. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but it was a lot. It was a lot. And, and so you had this data and we just, they released it on Valentine's Day as a gift to the girls. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> With yeah, love. It was- and so we got the data set. And the thing, the thing that I'm trying to get to that creeped me out the most and still creeps me out the most is that I think it was like 40% of the survey participants were men over 35. Yeah, it was so that one, like when I saw that point in the data, I was just like. So all these girls went and asked their dads to do it. And then all the dads were like, yes, looking at a girl's butt. A teenage girl's butt and jeans gives me a boner. I will say strongly agree with that question. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Fuck yeah. you, all of you, specifically everyone who took that survey. Fuck you. Okay, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was gross. And like, yeah. But it reinforced this idea that it was our fault. Yep. And we fucking played into it yep. because we had bought that hook, line, and sinker. Right. Yes. Yes. If I do wear capris, someone may look at my knees. Let's be realistic, though. If Your I wear capris, sexy, it's my ankles. Calves, but like those yeah. muscular shaped, right? Built calves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of of my tiny teenage body, like those who doesn't knees? <laughs> yeah. It. It Ugh. was so. And you know what's ironic? Let me just like go all the way on this. What is ironic about all of this is that probably, you know, I know my ex-husband took that survey. Oh, yeah. I didn't send it to him. He found it on his own. I knew he wasn't attracted. (laughs) (laughs) Did you wear all of the right things? Mm. All of the things that the, were said that I was we should the wrong. Wear. I was the wrong body type, and and he, he, you know, he didn't want someone who is supermodel thin and tall and blonde. He wanted a totally different body type, and yeah. and so he wasn't attracted to me. Uh, and of course, the, the the irony is that that was supposed to be my fault, right? Yeah, you can just will your body into another shape. It's well known. All, all can just become whatever he's attracted all, to. All but AFAB people can just like shapeshift. It's fine. <laughs> we are all tonks. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I so wish my life oh my would God. be so much better. But the thing, the thing, the thing that really gets me here is like it. It put the failure of the sex in our marriage back on me again. Yep. You had to be. sexy and then you had to be 100% sexy and if you couldn't you know shapeshift to match the expectations and the like nuanced needs of the dude you were with after having radically and violently and actively daily suppressed them yep for your entire life yep it was your fault yeah all over again yeah and definitely like not something that could have been prevented like (laughs) and also like there was no 
yeah, right. right. There was no way for any of us who grew up in that environment, regardless of gender, to talk about it. Like we didn't have the tools or the language. We were given we were given mean girl scripts at most to check each other. Yeah. We became each other's cops. At least in Sovereign Grace, we did. Yeah. It was, you know, I just want to ask you where your heart is right now because, you know, wearing that top is a statement. Right. <laughs> when you bend over, I can see cleavage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's how gravity works. Fuck right. You. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> why are you but looking the, into my shirt when I bend over is the question you should uh, be you, asking. The, the fact is that you didn't put your hand on your shirt when you bent over. So right. clearly you must be asking for attention that way. And so going to each other and policing each other and not talking to the boys about it, except for that one moment where we had the forum crossover. Right. But like not having any actual genuine, sincere conversation, even that was moderated and segregated and run through yep. parental supervision yep. and the facade of science. Yeah. We couldn't have a genuine conversation. No, there was none of that. Yeah. And even in like in Team Pack, this was a big deal where like every single event that Team Pack runs, they have like this time where they separate the boys from the girls and they each have the talk and the boys get like some bullshit talk about like being chivalrous or whatever. The entire talk for the girls is about policing our bodies and policing each other's bodies and the consequences mm-hmm. for not following the rules and the consequences. One of the moms will come to you and ask you to change. And if you don't have anything to change into, they will give you something to wear. The, the ugly sweater of shame. The ugly sweater, yeah. Yeah, no, we had this at the, I mean, the team packed people who were giving the stock were from my Richmond community. Yep. And they were pretty involved in this like Christian ballroom dance cotillion thing. And that was a, that was the practice there too. Yeah. You know, you came in with straps, like, you know, my, my, the straps on the shirt I'm wearing are one inch right now. Mm-hmm. If they were less than two inches, you had to put on the sweater of shame. Yep. Yep. Like, yeah, I could not wear the tank top I'm wearing, which I have like the straps tied around my neck because it's a longer (laughs) shirt than I need it to be. Yeah. No, what we were wearing would definitely get us raped. Oh, yeah. Totally. And it would be all our fault. Yep. 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 Um, Yeah. So. I think the thing that's interesting to another thing that's interesting to me about this is that we bought into this hook, line, and sinker, and I think we reinforced it more than our parents believed in it, maybe. Totally. Yeah. Like my parents, they were like, oh, yeah, modesty, you can't wear anything like that would make someone lust after you. And then they gave me Josh Harris's books. And like a bunch of books from other Christian writers on the subject of modesty and how to be a woman and all of these things. And they didn't pre-read them. Like they just gave them to me and were like, here, this is what you need. And so I internalized much more radical thinking Mm -hmm. than my parents had. And then my parents knew about because they weren't reading this material. They were like, oh, well, this is by like the Harrises or this is I got this from the Christian bookstore. So clearly it's fine. 
And so I internalized a lot of really bad messages. Like they, when they came home one day when I was like nine or whatever, and they were like, well, you're not gonna, we're not going to have you date. We're going to have you court. Initially, we're going to have you be betrothed, but that's a bad <laughs> idea. So we're going to oh, have you court. And I was like, good, because at least then I get to choose because I was not here for the betrothal idea. My mom has terrible taste in people. I have excellent <laughs> taste in people. None of the boys she wanted me with were boys I was compatible with in any fucking remote way. That's an entirely different story. Um, yeah, keep going. Yeah. And so like, I got, you know, I got I Kiss Dating Goodbye. I got Boy Meets Girl. I read them. I took notes. Like, this was the stuff that my parents told me was going to prepare Passion me. Passion impurity. Yeah, no, like, I was a, I was a, a incredibly studious. Yeah. Because this like, was, this, like, on the other side of all of this, this is also the closest we could get to, like, legitimately having sexy content in our lives. Yes, that's also true. Was, it was not just the rule book that we were handed, but it was also like the most frank discussion of anything that we were starving to talk about. Yes. Yes. Like, oh my God, the story about when Josh Harris was in the hammock with that one girl and their legs touched. His fiance. Yeah. His fiance. (laughs) And their legs touched. His ex-wife. Yeah. Wow. It was hot. He, He had to get up and go take a walk. Yeah, maybe a cold shower, like, and know, so did we. Yeah, <laughs> who would have thought that legs touching, like, was just I so? Mean, when they're freshly shaved, they can be very they, silky and soft. They are real good. Like, I'm not knocking legs touching. It's it's no, real it's great. Just, but also, but <laughs> that's also, so that's tame. another that's another thing that's characteristic of this is <laughs> like you like people joke about edging. <laughs> they have no clue no idea what we went through like i probably i mean i don't know that i did but like i got pretty fucking close to like orgasming orgasming i can i can talk i got pretty fucking close from orgasming from like over the shirt boob touch like, oh yeah we're gonna like just barely brush the uh, nipple through three layers of clothing and then you're like toast. Yeah, yeah. Because any touch is so eroticized. At right. All. And like, you know, if you touch anyone who could be your future spouse or could not be, like it is a violation of the marriage covenant. It is. You've basically already had sex if you hold hands. We grew up in in communities that were like you first kiss at the altar. Don't say I love you until after you propose. Yep. These are things coming out of Gosh and Purity, the Jim Elliott and Elizabeth Elliott story, and Josh Harris's books too. Um, oh yeah, we like my ex and I like fucked it up. We like said I love you and kissed way before we got married. Oh yeah, same. We same. were same. sinful, sinful little bastards. Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty like my ex-mother-in-law chose to believe that our first kiss was at the altar but i will tell you (laughs) we had been kissing for like a long time and also said i love you and also fingering and there was there was a lot of stuff happening that was not as chaste (laughs) as it was supposed to be I had more car sex before I was, and by car sex, I mean like roadhead level car sex before I was married. 
Oh yeah. Than I've had ever since. And it wasn't yeah. like actual head, but it was like, it was road fingering. Yep. Oh yeah. Oh, so like, this is something that I haven't, I don't think I've talked about this very much, but the entire like escape drive up to You've Maine. You've told me this before. Yeah. Tell, tell, tell them. <laughs> there was a lot of car fingering. It was great. It was good. There was, it was fun. But like that feels, even though that's like extremely risky and stupid that feels more safe because it's not full-on sex it's not it's not real if it doesn't make a baby and someone is more active in another activity so you can't risk accidentally having going too far you know right exactly it feels more controlled it feels safer yeah yeah we also totally slept naked together on that oh yeah absolutely and like it was my it husband was, was sneaking into the guest room at his parents' house, like at like eleven PM after his dad went to bed and then like getting out at like five AM before his parents got up. Yeah. So we could sleep naked together. Yeah. No, we were doing that. Yeah. Yeah. It was honestly like that trip probably was the best thing that we had done for our marriage and it was before we even were married. <laughs> It was your honeymoon? <laughs> that would pretty much – my honeymoon was escaping from my parents, driving, like trying to outrun a blizzard <laughs> and having like lots of – Oh, my sex. God. I forgot it was the blizzard time. Yeah, oh, it was wow. ridiculous. It was – there was a lot happening those four days. <laughs> it was absurd. <laughs> oh. The one chase thing we did was we went to a movie theater and we watched Coraline and there wasn't really much fucking in that because Coraline was a very intense movie. You guys are so cute. Also bad moms. Yeah. Yeah. You you have that in common. <laughs> um, sorry. <laughs> so masturbating was not handed to me as overtly sinful, but as like dangerous. Mm-hmm. Was that the same for you? Like my parents didn't really talk about masturbating. It Mine was just kept catching me masturbating. So yeah, it was like everyone else. It was it was team packed. It was pastors. It was books that I was reading. It was the general purity culture that I was in that inf- was like my information about masturbating, and it was something that was like well. It's it's very it's it's sinful to act on your lust of another person. There was a little bit of like if you can do it without thinking about anything, then like well, yeah, that was you know. the whole thing is like okay. if you can do it without like objectifying someone in your mind, then you're fine. Yeah, yeah. And so I like figured out ways around that by just like everyone I I imagined when I was masturbating, just like was a stock person like it wasn't they didn't exist right so there was mm-hmm. no one that i was objectifying because they weren't Army real anyone. yeah right. um one of the things that like i talked about on the worst year ever pod when we were talking about the the atlanta shooter is like the idea of having a sex addiction does not ha- necessarily mean that you have to be sexually active at all yes correct and by sexually active i mean like with other people um it can just mean that you are like jacking off once a day. Yeah. And that really blew their minds. But yeah. like that's kind of the thing is like a normal, a normal level of like, I'm a teenager, I have hormones and I'm horny. 
and I'm going to like masturbate twice a day, that is seen as a potential. You have an addiction. Addictive. You have an yeah. addiction. It's a problem because you're not honoring God because you're pleasing your body. And it's like, it's carnal, right? Well, and it's even more complicated, like being assigned female birth. When, yeah. Like, if you were a dude, it would be like, okay, you need to do it less. But, like, we understand that Can you, you have to do this. Can you at least do it in the shower? Like, physiologically speaking, you are obligated to do this at some point or another. So, yeah. like, you know, better to do it in the shower while you're asleep and, like, not think about a person. But, like, hi, if you have a clit, like, what are you doing? Nothing. That's not yours to touch. No. no. That's no. your husband's. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, like, also, women, people who are assigned female at birth, shouldn't have any libido because they're supposed to be chaste and pure. So you mix, like, one, no one talking about girls masturbating with, well, if you do, you're bad because so, that's not something you should have. This goes back to my CSA yep. conversation. One of the things that I had – so my mom kept catching me masturbating. I was pretty little when I was starting to masturbate. And, you know, I, I don't have a therapist right now and I'm not actively working on this. So I'm not going to get too far into it. But like there's ample evidence that I don't remember certain things. And normal childhood development puts figuring out masturbating at a later date than I was doing it. Yep. And so my mom, having been a victim herself of CSA, I think knew what she was looking at mm -hmm. and kind of was like trying not to hurt me more. I don't know that she was conscious of it, like overtly right. conscious of it, but she was not trying to make it worse. And so what she told me was more of a like, try not to do it every night. You know, we don't do this in public. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I've been like humping a teddy bear in the living room or something. Um, right. When I was like five, four or something. I don't know. I was yeah. really little. But the, you know, she kind of put parameters on it in terms of like, you know, decorum and like what's polite. And then when we were older, she had a couple conversations with me and uh, some younger siblings, not together, but like separately. Um, about like the Bible doesn't explicitly say this is a sinful thing, but it's a gray area and it can lead to sinful things. So you should just be careful about it. And then like, I'll check in every now and again and be like, how's it going? You doing good with this or is it mm -hmm. too much? So, so there was a sense of, I felt both free to do it sometimes but also given the messages I was getting from the church, I was worried that it was an addiction because of the way it was framed for men, which I think was probably more connected to viewing porn. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't really aware of that being like the thing. the thing. But the idea of masturbating being an addictive habit. So I, at a certain point, like decided I have to get this under control or I'm not going to, you know, my ex-husband's going to reject my, my ex-husband. <laughs> <laughs> Your future ex-husband. My future ex-husband is going to reject me because I am dirty. Right. And so I I did get it under control. And I like I was like pretty proud of myself. I had like, I don't know, like three or four years where I like didn't touch myself. And I was like, 
That's I have impressive. overcome this thing. How did you? <laughs> I have regrets. It <laughs> I started kissing this boy and then I all came back. Weird. Weird how that Weird. works. Yeah. I don't know. I remember like, so I also started masturbating when I was really young. Like my, one of my earliest memories is of like being, I don't know, three, four, five and like masturbating under my uh, sleeping bag at like nap time at my school. <laughs> and like, so I, I'd like been doing it. And my mom also like noticed at some point and it was just sort of like gave me the talk of like, okay, like, you know, kids touch themselves. That's right. You're figuring out your body. That's fine. But don't do it like in front of people. Like go right. go do that in your room or, or something. Mm-hmm. And so like I did that. And like when I was a kid, okay. yeah, it was just like this thing that felt good. And I didn't like have any connotations about it until mm-hmm. I got older. And then it was like, oh, well, like, you know, you can't you can't lust after people and like you know, it's, it's bad. And the, the thing is like, it wasn't, was it like an act of lust after people or was it just a active desire to be touched? That's a good question. I didn't well, know. <laughs> were you silent or were you silenced? Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and that's like, I didn't know. I just knew that like, it felt good. And then, you know, puberty happened and I was like, hmm, well, these things make me feel ways. And there was this one, and I felt like really guilty about it, obviously, as I got older and was like, oh my God, this yeah. is masturbating. Cause I read in like one of the handbooks that my mom got me, like the the American girl, like BU handbooks for like puberty were actually pretty helpful. Oh, they're really good. They're, they're like, really good. Care and keeping of care and keeping of you. Books. Yeah. That, yeah, that honestly really got me through puberty. That was like that was a good I book. <laughs> was not allowed to have them, but I did have my mom's medical textbooks and what to expect when you're expecting. So that's when I learned that people would still have sex after pregnancy. Wow. Including oral. And the baby wouldn't know. Huh. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> and I was like, huh. Yeah. That's data. Yeah. But I remember like there was this one time at Team Pact and it was it was the last uh, Team Pact convention that I'd gone to. It was 2007. And it was really weird. Like that was the one Tim Eccles gave this really fucking transphobic speech about how like boy well it's transphobic but he was also being really homophobic about it too he's like boys are acting like girls and it's bad and like oh my god stuff and things and there was <laughs> this one like guest speaker who was talking in not like great detail in, in a mm-hmm. lot of metaphors and stuff about like the sin of lust and sexual promiscuity and secret worlds. And he was like, like, I think the implication was porn, but I'm pretty sure everyone in that room thought he was talking about masturbating. This is a really, really common thing because people get so vague about it in these circles that you, it's so easy to just like jump from what is said in the most vague terms to the most extreme interpretation possible. Right. And so at at the end of like that speech or whatever, uh, 
they had us do an exercise where we were all supposed to like close our eyes and raise our hands if any of us had secret worlds <laughs> where you like keep things from your parents and like do things you know that you're not supposed to and like everyone uh, raised I mean, this their is hand. called a this is called differentiation it is a normal stage of teenage selfhood but yes keep going everyone raised their hand and that like pissed off mr eccles actually because he was like how does everyone have these secret worlds? Like, what are you doing? We are teaching all of the right things. You're not supposed to do these things. Oh. And like, it was it was just this really- That's really funny. This really kind of horrifying, awkward moment of like, what, like it was kind of comforting too, because in a way it was like, there was some solidarity because like, I was like, I was sitting by my uh, future ex-spouse mm-hmm. at the time. Um, <laughs> And, and we looked at each other and I was like, did you raise your hand? They're like, yeah. I was like, I raised mine too. But it was like, we like later talked about like what our secret worlds were and it wasn't porn. It was like masturbating and listening to music that our parents didn't like. Um, but it normal. was yeah, normal bullshit. But it was just like such a tense, tense moment where we were all just like being condemned because we were vulnerable about something mm. that was very vague right, and right. he had an idea of what he thought it meant and literally every single one of us had a different idea about what it was. And it was just like, wow, we all have this thing and also we're all in a fuck ton of like spiritual trouble now. <laughs> right. Because, because well, <laughs> I mean, I just gave this like cute little lecture in I'm being facetious there um, about postmodernism to my poor, my poor American lit students. About, <laughs> I, was like, I was like, okay, we got to sort of talk Derrida. Let me like give you the, the like Derrida for dummies sort of version where it's like, there's an idea of a chair. Yeah. And when I say chair, if I don't specify what that chair looks like, your idea of a chair in your head is going to look different. And so there might be, mistranslated moments in this description of like what I am doing with this chair that might not be possible in your idea of a chair because Mm -hmm. I'm not describing the chair clearly. My chair doesn't have arms. Your chair does have arms. My chair has four legs and no back or like, you know, and yours, whatever. And so these like these extended metaphors in the purity culture world become the same kind of, moment of 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 slippage in language yeah we get this like you know fundamental inability to communicate what we're meaning because they are so afraid of naming the thing right well because if you name the thing then like someone's gonna find out what it is and do it instead of like staying blissfully ignorant and having that thing done to them i mean there is some there is some validity to that thought like you know if you send someone who's not in true crisis to a treatment center for something, they're going to learn how to do the thing better from the people there. Right. Yeah. Like it both, both are kind of true, but it's, but the thing is like, it's not a problem. (laughs) That wasn't a problem. Right. That's the thing is like, we all thought that we were talking about like masturbating, right. Or whatever. And like, 
they were the, well and <laughs> then we carried that burden with us until we well, figured out it was bullshit my ex and i used to talk about this with like the iceberg theory of hemingway but like taking it to purity culture where it's like the thing that you see for the couples on campus at grove city college where they're all making out in the hallways that's like the most that they think that they can do so they're all doing it in public and that's what you see the couple that's like rubbing each other's backs in church that have been married for five years that's all you see, but they're doing so much more at home, maybe. Um, <laughs> yeah. And and the the shame that drives that s- situation, yeah, is really I don't know. I'm I kind of like lost my thread there, but the you know there's less that you see from the one. Oh, I know where I was going with that. Eccles, because he's married and having sex. Yeah is thinking about this in terms of what he's doing outside of his normal marital relationship. He's doing tip of the iceberg stuff. Mm -hmm. Everybody else hasn't gotten there and any new thing is so taboo and so intense. So like orgasming from over the shirt touch. Right. They think that the little thing is the big thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because it is the biggest thing in the world. Right. Exactly. And then you you pile a bunch of shame on top of that and no one's talking about it because like if everyone knew, then you would be exiled for being impure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The ostracization is, is pretty bad. That was a lot of like weird context, but we have actual other thoughts to get to. I mean, I guess it's not I, context, it's, I mean, I think it's context. important. It's really important context. It, if you're new to us, this is probably feeling very disorganized, but um, hopefully you'll still be interested enough to go back and like listen to more to get it put together. Yeah. Also, this is maybe the most I've ever talked about my ex-husband on this podcast, and I don't usually make a habit of doing that. But, I, you know, I feel like it is re- where it intersects with <laughs> intersects yeah. with my sex life. I think it's important. Well, it's, you know, it's like the most I've talked about my ex in the podcast as well it's like it's because we grew up in this same culture it's really like entwined and important to the context well because we believed really hardcore that this was it this was our experience of sex was going to be only with that person forever Mm -hmm. and so everything was geared around i mean we've talked about like the I don't think we've talked about it, but you and I have talked about it offline about the like letters to the husband stuff. Oh, yeah. That was like a thing. That was a thing. It kind of was billed as like a. I mean, it wasn't overtly stated as such, but it was kind of the idea was like, if you're horny, you're going to be writing letters to your ex-husband about like what you wish you were doing with him. Or your ex-husband. I keep saying that. <laughs> your future ex-husband. We're all writing letters ex- to our future ex-husbands. <laughs> your, your letters to your future like, ex-husband. That's not how they tell us it, but that is how it works in practice. Everyone I know. <laughs> like, honestly. Look, I have, I've only had an ex-husband. I haven't had a husband this stuff. So, yeah, you know, it's fine. It. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> you're writing letters to your future ex-husband. That was intended to be given to them on their wedding night, on your wedding right. night. And they were like, 
because uh, somehow you're supposed to read that they, before the sex or after the right, sex. Yeah, you're yeah, to read yeah. it at some point. Somehow their animal urges that like make them rape people would be so controlled enough that they would be able to read like a couple of you know, a decade's worth of journaling about how much you like are praying for them before right. they fuck you for the yeah, first time. Yeah, and that's it also make any supposed sense. to like not make them not horny. It's like supposed if, to be really romantic. Yeah, yeah. Which is like honestly why I never got very far with. I think I tried like once, and it was just like I this mean, is... I wrote a bunch of them, and then I like trashed them before I met him. Like it just like it. They weren't good. They didn't make any sense. They yeah. weren't for me. Like, yeah, so they never made sense to me either. I was like, but it was is... like a thing. Yeah, it's what we were told to do with our sexual urges. It was like the outlet that was safe instead of like masturbating or kissing people. <laughs> Who wants to write a letter instead of masturbating? Right, you try that. Like that. You try that for a week and tell me how good your writing is. <laughs> Every time you want to masturbate, write a right. letter to someone. Right, I'm write a letter to writing. your your future spouse who you don't know what they'll be or, or what they'll like mm-hmm. or like you know it's just like this imagine and you don't know what you like because you don't masturbate. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it was it was so confusing because it's like so first of all. First of all, we're not supposed to think about people in ways that make us horny. However, we are supposed to write letters to our future ex-husbands that is supposed to help with our horniness. It's very confusing. It is a hard needle to thread. <laughs> like, I don't. I tried it and I just couldn't do it. I mean... It's Dolly Parton's song. That's what this is, basically. <laughs> Letters to my future ex-husband. Yeah, that's what this that's what this section or this episode is going to be called. I'm going to write that down. Letters to my future ex-husband. Letters to my future <laughs> that's this segment. But like, really though, where's the lie? Speaking of divorces. <laughs> yeah. Josh Harris did this interview with Nadia Boltz-Weber, who I'll, I'll tell you my beef with her real fast before we go anywhere, because I, I feel like it is worth noting the reason I didn't fuck with Rachel Held Evans for the couple of years before she died and the reason I don't fuck with Nadia Boltz-Weber still is because both of them sided with t- this guy named Tony Jones for co-hosting a conference with him. Oh, yeah. At the point when he was being accused of some really, really violent abuse from his ex-wife then estranged wife and it was in the court documents and it was gruesome it was so and bad they, and they were like oh you can't know it's a he said she said and continued to participate in co-hosting the conference with them anyway yeah so also i feel vaguely weird about nadia boltzweber and her like queer appropriation shit but that's a whole other thing yeah there's a whole reason i just like stayed away from all that mess but anyway (laughs) okay so the vibes are bad but she interviewed josh harris which is i think his first interview after his little fake ass documentary oh yeah he did his little apology tour yeah (laughs) someone i have beef with like shaded me (laughs) her interview on that that documentary and it was funny but so he's talking to Nadia Boltzweber on this podcast it's like 
35 minutes long, 30 minutes long. You can listen to it pretty quick, whatever. Do or don't. But the thing that really stood out to me is that what he sees as having been harmful about Boy Meets Girl, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, is that he taught that the sex after marriage, stopping dating, casual dating stuff, all of that purity culture shit was an incentive for getting a reward after you upheld those standards. So you, by withholding yourself from these experiences, you would get a reward of better sex in marriage. The best, better than everyone else's sex ever. (laughs) And it I'm laughing in vaginismus. <laughs> and it wasn't that he he doesn't say that he believes that sex before marriage is sinful. Which is something that his former self probably would have said. Mm-hmm. And so there's this there's this moment where he's talking in the podcast about like this is what he sees as like the most harm done is from this this like this idea of you were getting this reward and there was an incentive and it didn't come through and he promised, you know, it was false advertising. Basically he feels guilty about the false advertising. And I have this friend, Beth Fisher, who is a PhD candidate in Toronto and she's a theologian and she was posting on Easter about different theories of atonement. And Mm -hmm. I realized there's a direct connection between theories of atonement and your motivation to have the best sex by upholding God's law, not God's law, but God's like best for your life. His plan. Harris in that interview framed it as going the extra mile as like, this is not the like only good. This is the best good. Interesting. And yeah, so he frames it as going the extra mile. And and so, like, if you're really on fire for Jesus, you want to go the extra mile. Therefore, you will do this and you'll get this reward. And it, why would you be motivated to do extreme things for Jesus? Why would you be motivated to self-flagellate in this way, to do things that are in his his late later retroactive opinion, gray mm-hmm. area kind of things. And I, I think it goes back to like ideas of atonement. If you believe that God is still potentially mad at you and Christ's death was a symbolic act of promise, not actually something that closed the debt, then you feel like you are constantly playing catch up with what you owe God. And so sacrificing more and suffering more is a way of ensuring God's pleasure in you. Yeah. And if, okay, so there's like a couple different theories of of atonement and I'm going to butcher them all. And if you're a theologian, shut up and don't complain. I've had three hard seltzers. (laughs) But... Um, there's, there's Anselm, there's Abelard, and then there's the Calvinists. So this is super, super rudimentary 
don't quote me on this, but Anselm is the, the Catholic Bishop of Canterbury. And it's basically God is sacrificing his son as a penitentiary, like act that is getting satisfaction for a debt. It is a restitution act. So Anselm objects to that and says that by creating that framework, you're putting Satan in the position of a competing deity with God that needs to be satisfied. Mm. So you're giving Satan too much power. And so Anselm, who's like kind of more Anabaptist Mennonite kind of thinking, frames it in terms of this is an example of God's love for you to like draw you in sacrifice as love is, mm-hmm. is, is a kind of an enticing seductive um, illustration of what it could be. It's not satisfying a debt. And then the, the governmental theory of atonement is more like the more Protestant, non-Calvinist Protestant thing. It's like, Christ's suffering is a substitute for the punishment that humans deserve. But like Christ's suffering is not like a one-to-one corollary with like the sins of the people. Right. And so when you have that kind of the, the, any kind of penal approach to atonement, anything that is not, um, essentially Abelard's approach to atonement, it becomes this, you have to suffer to satisfy a debt. You have to suffer to make things right. You have to suffer to receive love. And having the obligation to suffer to receive love creates this framework that is really, really fucked up. Yep. You don't deserve it is the baseline. You are the temptress you're the whore you You are inherently bad uncontrollable sexual beast yeah you're inherently bad and so by abstaining and by exercising greater self-control you are kind of building up yourself in god's good graces it is i mean this is why this kind of stuff is cultish is because it's like we have a corner on truth Mm-hmm. We have we know how to do it better because we're trying harder, and here's all the weird ways we're trying harder. Yeah, look how much more suffering we're doing than those plebs out there. <laughs> Obviously, we've got it right, right. So, so having him say, "Oh, this is not the this is not it's not that it's sinful. It's this this is God's best for you." And that, I don't know that that's what he believes now, but he's that's how he was framing his younger self as thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Gives this implication of a theory of atonement that really, really just devalues your agency from the get and puts you in the position of constantly chasing a moving goalpost mm-hmm. for holiness. Yeah. So even if you do all the right things, they could still pull it on you and be like, well, you follow the letter of the law, but not the spirit of the law. Right. So you and your husband didn't have good sex because y'all were fingering each other in the car. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, you didn't stay the most pure. So obviously God is displeased and that's how. Y'all had pretty good sex, but it could have been better if you'd done better right. beforehand. Yeah. Uh, it just basically sets you up to always be chasing the approval of a narcissist. Yep. Yep. Which is somehow like supposed to be a loving God who accepts people and all of their sins and whatever. But, um, None of these no. theories of atonement are models for a healthy relationship. No. The end. No. None of them. Some of them are worse than others, but all of them are bad. But And so when you have that as your definition of love and you have the idea of like your sexual like debut to steal the, the phrase from Jessica Valenti um, as being something that you have to repress and forget – because it was not initiated in the right way. Otherwise, you're broken. Right. Um, you would just get very, very trapped in secrets and shame very quickly. Yep. And then, like, you know, that also, if there's anything else that goes wrong, those stack. <laughs> and mm -hmm. it's even more your fault. And then you're suddenly Sisyphus with the purity culture yeah. rock up yeah. the hill every day, all day. Yeah. I, I think I was, I've been talking with someone about this recently in terms of like, I am still after multiple dozens of partners and like falling in and out of love and having serious relationships and not serious relationships. And I, still have two modes i can be extremely sexual or not at all yeah yep. and it's like there's the, nothing there's no in between no. i there's no right and i used to like kind of joke about it being like well i was like i had nothing and then i was married so all i know how to do is like hit the gas and go to 60 but I think it's more than that. I think it's also this like this rep repressive habit of if I initiate anything, if there's anything in between, I'm forcing it, I'm pushing it, I'm becoming the slut, I'm becoming the the seductress, I'm becoming the, you know, the woman that is the whore of Babylon. Like whatever right. we're all yeah, like, yeah. all the biblical tropes. Such a Jezebel. Like, <laughs> You know, I haven't thrown my, I haven't defenestrated myself <laughs> yet. <laughs> you can call sure. me a Jezebel after I've defenestrated myself and the dogs have eaten my entrails. Fair, fair enough. Let's not, let's not get there though. I like your entrails inside your body. Hey, so does everyone else. <laughs> Sorry. You have, you have a good body for holding entrails. Like it's almost like you was my, the meat the meat sack does a good job yeah. at keeping them inside it's fine <laughs> <laughs> so don't call me a jezebel yet thanks <laughs> it may be slutty but i'm not like fat <laughs> all your guts are still inside so mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. that i like that that's the measure is like <laughs> whether your guts are inside or outside your body and Honestly, to go dark with that, like, if the guts are outside your body, it's probably not your fault. Right, mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah. So, you know. So, I, in Jezebel's defense, you know, attest to that good bitch. 
toast. She did some horrible things, but that's a rough ending. <laughs> it is. It really is. But, but like, I just don't, I just don't, like, even now, like, therapy and, like, partners and working through things and all, like, all of this stuff, I'm still stuck in this little loop of zero to 60 or there's no in between. Yeah. And it's, it's tied to like, you have permission and you don't, and it's not tied to consent. No. Which is another thing that we never talked about yet. Yeah. This is, this is a good segue to talk about it. Okay. So when did you figure out consent? Uh, like well into my marriage. Well, I mean, I guess a bit before my marriage, it was, I was married. Like there wasn't, there wasn't any talk about like, consent in any of the advice that I was given and none of the like talks with my pastor prepping for marriage like honestly consent was like almost demonized as if like like a woman shouldn't say no like if you say no to your spouse who's horny then like whatever they do if they go have sex with someone else like that's on you and that was a whole <laughs> lot to like yeah. figure out and like i mean thankfully my ex spouse and i were were pretty much on the same page and had like unsurprisingly for two closeted trans people you similar got libido so problems lucky. You got I, got, so lucky. I have i i am very excited and half proud of the fact that i have yet to date a cis man and i'm pretty sure i'm gonna i'm gonna like try <laughs> to keep that are you a like, gold star trans yeah yeah i think so i think i win um Fuck you <laughs> <laughs> i mean like you aren't missing out but you are missing out and yeah no they're like like to be to be completely honest there are like a handful of cis dudes that i legitimately have crushes and would like to go out with but i am just scared and i don't know how to do it i don't know how to navigate that i don't want to have to hold their hands with trans stuff and it's just it seems like too much work for me so i'm just like yeah like that is too much of- emotional labor to do for maybe a fuck so <laughs> i'm just gonna wait until i have that so is this you putting it out into the universe that you would like a, a trans his man to hit on you yes Okay, cool. There are there are a couple boys that I'm sincerely hoping will take this message and ask me out because I just literally do not have the spoons to do the education. So if you've got the work done, then like let's go. If you've listened to this part of the podcast, <laughs> yeah. you should be fine. <laughs> if you've gotten through the part where I explained meta and you're fine. <laughs> let's talk. <laughs> yeah. No more questions about surgery. It's fine. (laughs) Um, I didn't figure out consent until after I was divorced. I, and I like kind of, I I kind of abstractly knew it, but I still was operating in my marriage under the, under the assumption that like sex was obligated to your spouse. Yeah. Under the marriage spouse. Mm -hmm. And so, I wouldn't approach my spouse with wanting it unless I thought that perhaps they'd be into it 
in return. And if I got turned down, I would accept that. Right. But, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't approach it if I knew for sure that they wouldn't be into it because that would be in my mind, a violation of consent at that point. But it was so far removed from like actual understandings of consent that by the time I got to the first person I really dated after my divorce, who I, I won't name, but we never actually fucked. We dated for like six months and it wasn't for lack of desire. It was just like we would fool around and then I'd have a panic attack or we get tired mm-hmm. and we just like cuddle and it was fine. Yeah. It was nice. And I never felt pressured to do more. And I was at that point getting a lot of energy from having one night stands with other people. It was, it was an open relationship and not calling them back and not like giving them my real name or we, whatever. Yeah. But be, because I had not had that much autonomy before to ask for what I wanted and to ask for what I wanted with the understanding that there would be no consequences for it. Yeah. And so I only felt safe doing that in situations where I knew I wouldn't see them again. And so with someone I knew I would see again, I didn't want to do that. It didn't feel safe still. So it, it was, it's been a long journey, but understanding understanding the nuances of consent has been really huge and really helpful. And I, I just wish so much that that had been like even vaguely mentioned as part of this conversation. Yeah. 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 Honestly, like that would have been so nice. Like if, if I'd heard anything about consent other than like, well, you're failing as a spouse if you say no. I mean, CJ Mahaney used to regularly talk about how his wife had never turned him down for sex. Yeah. The fucking woman had two hip replacements. And he bragged about having sex multiple times a week. Always. Forever. During the marriage. These were things he did in the sermon. And so this was stuff that like, this is Josh Harris's mentor. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. This is the stuff that's being translated to us. And so to have someone I was married to who didn't have a libido that was as strong as mine was a shocker. Especially since, like, else. you know, your future ex-husband was supposed to be, like, horny as shit. And I thought I was doing something wrong. And, of course, I wasn't. Right. It's fine. It's just what it was. But, like, I didn't know that. Yeah. And I wasn't told that. And and so when he wanted something, I felt like I had to give it to him. And so this create this created this cycle of me doing things that I wasn't wasn't comfortable with on the regular before mm-hmm. we were married and sometimes after. Um because I thought that I owed it to him because he was finally horny or whatever. Yeah. You know, he was finally interested in me. Yeah. And so I didn't feel like I really had any true agency. Yeah. I don't know if you yeah. had things like that <laughs> too. Yeah. Yours. I mean, like the idea of agency was just so foreign and like, I don't know. I think like, like I did really luck out 
in in my marriage where we were both like mm-hmm. pretty much on the same page and at the same level and we had this sort of like really good uh kind of push and pull relationship where we each like learned stuff and kind of like brought the other along but like we had to work that out like we 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 worked that out kind of early on a lot of it because of like we kind of had to because of the impacts of like vaginismus and like not being mm-hmm. able to have penetrative sex meant we had to in- completely rethink like how we were intimate with each other and try because to you fit assumed that. that this was it forever and so you had to work with what you had mm-hmm. yeah yeah because like I just I couldn't like relax enough and I didn't have any resources for it except like well try more like that's basically the like thing is like, well, if you have vaginismus, you should like get dilators and try more. And I was like, that doesn't sound like fun to me. Like I can clitoral stimulation is let's, all I let's fucking talk need. about how so. vaginismus like has a reason and you have to figure that out before you can try more. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, I didn't have access to a therapist at the time. And so we just sort of like had to adapt and it, it worked mm-hmm. out because like turns out we're both trans and so traditional sex is just not a thing that like worked for us mentally and physically like it was just like no and so we kind of like figured that out pretty quickly because we had to redefine what sex was and neither of us wanted kids so like we didn't have any feelings of like, oh, well, like, oh, no, this won't result in children because I was already on the like, nope, never having that thing. <laughs> I'm like, not not in this body. It's not Lucky happening. Lucky you. And, and like, honestly, that was a huge, that was a huge part of the vaginismus was like oh, the yeah, idea absolutely. of being impregnated was just so like it I have heard tell of your adventures <laughs> after your hysterectomy yeah. that were very different. Yes, I know. Radically different. Like mm-hmm. worlds from not possible to oh my god, very possible. This is pretty great. I like please do know. more. Thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, when it's when it's safe to 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 have uh the one boy over again. Um, yes, sign me up as many times before my surgery. <laughs> we got to get it in. Um, Literally? Yeah, like, please, just, I'll stay at his place for a week. He lives, like, right around the block from me. It's fine. I hope he's listening to this. He would die. <laughs> he wouldn't, though, because he's very, like, he is, he's a lot more sexual than I am because I also have, like, the two phases. And if I am not mm-hmm. in you are flirting with me phase, you are not going to get flirts back. You are going to get sincere Karen back. Yeah, and that is not me. the same. I just, just a sidebar, though. This is also, no, I was going to say robot flirting. <laughs> it's yeah. default anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is that is true. I am... Not very well practiced, but I also like I have to know that it's happening so I can respond correctly because I otherwise am not in that headspace. I don't readily get to that headspace. Like I I have to be in a mood. (laughs) I I do know someone early on in the pandemic, not early on, mid pandemic, season two of the pandemic. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) 
<laughs> and one of the things that was really nice was they were like, can we take this to the next level over text? Like, can we make this overtly sexual, basically? And I was like, yeah, thanks for saying that. <laughs> like, let's do it. Yeah. I, and like, I, I'm not good at that transition, but like once this is this door is open, I'm like, we're going to party. Yes. If you present to me the context shift and you tell me this is going to be flirty, I will get my flirt on and it will be fine. And I will. And, and apparently like the sexting was literary and publishable and like hot. So like, you know, it's, it's there, the best, but, yeah. it, but it's like, it's zero or 60. Right. Yeah. There is no, there's no like midway point where I ease up to flirting. It's like, I have to realize, okay, this person is flirting with me and I like that this person is flirting with me. So I should probably flirt back in response. And it, it yeah. like, that's a I whole have to process I have to go through. Like still like there's, well, I mean, there's another. Even like, even like with people I've been in relationship with, like, I'm still like, are you are you not yeah yeah i mean like thankfully like living with my partner i can pick up on when she's flirting but like Mm -hmm. over text i'm like i need to know like literally (laughs) one of my partners (laughs) flirted with me for a year on instagram liked all of my photos i had no fucking clue until victoria was like when are you gonna ask them out like I just found out that someone I had a crush on had had a crush on me for like two years. And I was like, wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. Like you, you, wait, wait, hang on, hang on, hang on. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is my level of like not There's, being they, able they, to register. Like I, and I think just, just for those who are listening who, who might be confused about this, I know when it's this is dude, I can tell. Oh yeah. Yeah. The tone is very different. I can tell when I'm being objectified. Yeah. And when I am being genuinely connected with. And that's the the, the latter is where I have problems with telling if it's being flirted yes. or not. Yes. Yes. That is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can <clears throat> I can tell cis dudes and most of the time I'm like, ew, gross. No. <laughs> like it's, it's, uh, like, uh, it's like, usually someone who's a chaser. You're cute, but sit down and shit. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like, you're trying to figure out your gender shit on me, and I am not at all remotely here for it. You get that shit sorted out, (laughs) maybe we'll talk, but probably not, because I'm going to avoid you like the plague from now on. You can't say that in the age of corona. I know. Except that I can't, because I'll just wear a mask. It's fine. I will double mask in your presence. Double mask. Sir. I will double mask. I will stay 12 feet away just in case any of your cooties come by. Are you double masking or are you double masking? That's for you to figure out. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I have just used that joke twice. We should probably stop at some point because this is run out of steam. Yeah. Maybe. But like, you know, like that's it's it's still a it's still a problem for me. I just I don't. And some of it maybe be like maybe is being on the spectrum, but I think a lot of it is like the culmination of like yeah. I mean, neurodivergence, yeah, both hella ADHD. Like was, that's that's a definitely part of it, but a lot a lot of it. Okay, so I think. We were on vaginismus initially and like bodies and like. It's fine. 
Yeah. But I think I think that there's there's an element of people who are neurodivergent who took purity culture a lot more seriously than everybody else. Yes. I think there's an element to that community of recovering purity culture people where you see non-neurodivergent people found ways to break the rules a lot more early and a lot more easily. Yeah. And the neurodivergent people were just like much more rigid in their approach because we took it so much more literally. Right. Yeah. And that was all we knew. It was like, well, uh, we didn't, we didn't have that other element of grasping that maybe it didn't have to be that literal. So let me just put this out there. If you are neurodivergent and, or especially and trans and you did courtship or hardcore purity culture. I would like to talk to you, perhaps interview you, perhaps have you write a piece. I have a silly project idea and I want to hear about it. What was your experience like and how did it affect your gender identity? Because that's a whole thing we didn't touch on. The whole thing. It's really important. Yeah. Um, but I, I want to hear more about this. I, I'm excited about this project. <laughs> it's not something that I'd, I'd thought about until you mentioned it. And I was like, oh, hmm. Hmm. How did courtship culture keep me from figuring out that I was not a woman? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, and also. It did a lot. <laughs> yeah. A whole lot. Well, and like. A whole different episode on like transmasculinity and being shat on for like not identifying as a woman and everyone else being like oh well you just don't like to perform it and it's like well <laughs> and they're like, i mean no but like, it's not because of that reason they're they're like don't worry none of us like to perform it we all have to suffer too right and i'm like well that's not helpful that doesn't that still doesn't like that's not my experience like i mean yes i hate it also but like it's deeper than that. It's there's it's a, a fundamental thing. There's a reason it took me a long reason. time to figure this out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. And it really, this is an entirely other tangent, but it bothers me when people are like, oh, well, the only real trans people are the people who knew they were trans when they were kids. And I just want to take a moment to say that is utter <laughs> bullshit. Well, it's, I think a lot of that, oh my God, there's a whole thing I was looking into today. I'll get, I'll tell you about it afterward. <laughs> um, it goes back to Walker Percy. It's a thing. Um, but I think the idea of discomfort as your regulator of transness, your experience of, okay, if you're, if you grow up rich, this is a metaphor that, that was used. If you grow up rich and you never know real hunger, because you've never had to skip a meal. You still want to eat food. Right. If you have grown up starving, you still want to eat food. And your needs are the same. Mm -hmm. Your understanding of your suffering with your needs is different. Yes. And the narrative of trans... There's, this is coming I'm not this is not from me this is from a writer and I am blinking on who said this I read it on an article that I found on Twitter and I'll hopefully find the link to it but 
Um, but what they were saying was like, if your understanding of your suffering is coming from like, I have to do this or I'll die. And that's mm-hmm. the only qualifier. That's not fair to yourself because the qualifier can be, do you want to? Yes. And if you want to, it counts. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what took me so long to figure out was I was like, but I'm not suffering. So right. it doesn't count. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, you know, when you, when you've spent so long suffering that that's your normal and you can't tell that it's suffering. Well, there's that too. Yeah. It's like, that's like, that's like me. My therapist is like, but what if you imagined good things? And I'm like, what do you. Please, please elaborate. <laughs> what is that? I don't understand imagining like being comfortable. Mm. What is? What is? It seems, mm, seems sketch. But like. You know. Seems like a scam. Yeah, I'm like that doesn't that seems fake to me. Seems fake. Only suffering. That's not. That's not how it has to be. Again, back to penal theories of atonement. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Which is like so much of what mm. I what I unpack in therapy has to do with the fact that my parents' theology was grounded in you are inherently bad and you have to suffer in order to be better. In, in order, order to, to get good things. Love. Yeah. In order to like be worth caring about. Yeah. And so a lot of my self-sabotage is unnecessary suffering because I don't think that I'm worth not suffering. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Right. Well, <laughs> again, again, this is like I don't like taking up space. Having needs is dangerous because yeah. it gives people ammunition against me. Mm-hmm. So me being transgender was not so much about my own discomfort with myself, but more of a telling people how to treat me. Yes. And so by telling people how to treat me, I was taking up space <laughs> and claiming that. And that felt like aggressive. Yep. And dangerous. But by doing it, actually, this is something Rachel and I have been talking a bunch about. If you remember my friend Rachel, she's, she's, I told her recently, no, wait, stop. I wasn't done. She interrupted me, but it was an ADHD interruption. It was kind of a collaborative overlapping yeah. thing. Yep. Yep. And we do that all like, the no. time. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, no, wait, I'm not done. And she was like, thank you for saying that. That makes my life easier because I don't have to be constantly monitoring your mood and your tone and your reaction to know if you wanted to say something or not. And it's it's the same thing for the gender stuff where it's like, I'm giving people less guesswork. Yes. But I thought for a long time that it was taking up space and it was invasive and aggressive. No. And it's not, it's not. No, (laughs) it's just you saying, hi, this is me. Please treat me like this. Yeah. Yeah. Is that a good note to end on? Yeah, I feel like that's a great note to end on. This has been... uh, It's been a journey. It's been a journey. Everything comes back to being trans. And also how you you see... What what is your theory of crucifixion? Yes, yeah. How much suffering is required to be pure and good? 
how much suffering do you have to have before you get to be lovable? Right. Exactly. And like, that's just such answer. None. Yeah. It's a shitty, it's a shitty question because it's not real. It's fake. Like you don't, you don't have to have suffered at all in order to be worthy. And the fact that like you did suffer is just like, I'm sorry. And you didn't deserve it. Fake. Lies. Yeah. Bullshit. Well, I don't believe tell you. My, tell that to my therapist. She will beg to defer. <laughs> <laughs> My therapist will be like, no, that's so hard to meet me outside. We'll go yeah. Um, thank you for listening to this extremely long episode. We didn't realize that this was something that we hadn't really covered, so this is kind of a first stab at it. Yeah, let us know if you have follow up questions. I would love to. You know, we're probably missing lots of things. Yeah, I feel like we kind of like went on a tour of what <laughs> like what 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 purity culture in the sense of like specifically around sex and sexual activity and like our sense mm-hmm. of bodies and worth and agency are uh and it's a lot to unpack because you know this, i mean we haven't you know, even gotten into like the half of it but yeah there's there's so stay tuned if you like this content let us know and again, yeah, if you have follow-up questions or clarifying questions, please email us, yeah. kitchentablecult at gmail.com. Yep. Or you can uh, send us a tweet at kitchencultpod. Um, also, if you want to, like, hang out in our Slack, you can do that by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash kitchentablecultpod, and you can ask us a bunch of these questions there, and you can also see my uh, pretty blue bathroom and- whenever I upload that. Your cute cat and, and my other cat. people's cute other animals people's animals. We have really good conversations in there. Please join us. It's great. Yeah, it's really good. Thank you, as always, to Dave for putting this together and making this sound <laughs> professional. Yeah. Despite Coherent. ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and thank you to the heavens for the music. The track is Janet from their album Stenalzo. So check them out. And if you want to donate to Kieran's bottom surgery fund. Yes, uh, you can do that. I am on PayPal in Venmo at MX Starkwater. And I take Square Cash at Kieran. And yeah, like follow me on on Twitter, which is at Blue Pup Boy, if you want all of the juicy details whenever uh, boy with that an occurs. Eye. Yeah, boy with an eye. It'll be in the description. It's fine. Okay. All right. <laughs> we love you. Stay hydrated. Enjoy the spring weather. Take Get care your of vaccines. Get your vaccines. So we can see people again. <laughs> oh, my God. Right. <laughs> I miss people. Yeah, people are good. Yeah. Yeah. Get vaccinated so we can all be in person. And don't, for the love of everything holy, don't pretend like you can go out and do shit after your first shot. And wait a week after your second shot before you like try to no, go do anything. Weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks after your second shot before you just like go for it because you can still spread it. And we're already getting another fucking resurgence because everyone went on a spring break. So like just stop it. Wear your masks for the extra time that you need. That way we can all see each other in person. Thank you. And then and then you can actually wear your masks in person. Okay. No, okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye.